Do you like to have a celebration? Do you like to be at a party? Do you like to be at a big event? You know, in the past, uh, and continuing on now, my wife and I sometimes host celebrations in our home, events. In the past, in the summer, we've had picnics where we've had 80 people to our home for the picnic. Uh, in the past, at Christmas time, we would have caroling parties to where we would have dinner in our home for close to 50 people. So we, we've had some big parties, some big celebrations, some big events. But you know, events just don't happen, do they? No, it, it takes a lot of work, a lot of preparation. We have the event itself, and we can really enjoy the event and everything going on in that event. But there's a lot of planning, a lot of work, sometimes a lot of expense that has led up to that event. And then you have the event, and boy, you really have a good time, and you enjoy yourself, and then after the event. It's not always as enjoyable as the event itself. So as I was thinking about Christmas this year, I thought we would look at it through those three different kind of time frames. We'll consider the event itself. I want us to look at some of the things that led up to the event. Now, we can't look at all of them, because if we looked at all the things that led up to the event, we would be here all night. But we'll look at some of the things that led up to the event of Jesus coming to the earth. We'll look at the event, and then we'll look at things that happened after the event. In Luke chapter 2, verse 11, it tells us, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's the event. That's what we celebrate. But let's look at some of the pre-event things. Some of the things that led up to Jesus coming to the earth. The first thing I want us to consider is the promise. The promise. And we need to go all the way back to the book of Genesis to see the first of those promises that were made. God made man. He put them in a perfect environment. And man chose to do what? Rebel against God, disobey him, and sin entered into the world. There was an act where Eve was deceived by the serpent, and she ate of that forbidden fruit, and her husband Adam chose to eat of that fruit, and sin entered into the world, and there from the very beginning of the history of the world, there was a promise made. God spoke to the serpent, and in Genesis 3, verses 14 and 15, he said this, the Lord God said to the serpent, 
Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity, I will put fighting between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The very first promise of a Messiah, of a Savior that would come. Man, his sin, he needs to be delivered. The penalty for sin is death. The serpent has led that first couple into sin. And God pronounces now there's going to be war. But from the offspring of the woman, the first hint of the virgin birth found in the Bible, from her offspring will come the one that is going to bruise or crush your head. Satan, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. The promise. Later, as we move through the scriptures, we come to the book of Numbers, and there we see a promise of a star. Balaam, a prophet for hire, was hired to curse the nation of Israel. But Balaam says, and he tells King Balak, I can only speak what God lets me speak. And so he speaks, and instead of cursing Israel, he blesses Israel. And he says in Numbers 24, 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. The promise of the star. Sometimes it's referred to as the Bethlehem's star. Actually, the wise men that we'll talk about a little bit later, the Magi, will call it his star. But I want you to know, this is unlike any other star. I, I, I found it interesting. I learned something as I was preparing for this message, something I'd never noticed before. And that is this. Did you realize in the scripture, it's only the Magi that see the star? There's no record of anybody else saying they saw the star other than the Magi. Now, I know that kind of messes up all of our Christmas stories, doesn't it? Of that great big blazing star that's there in the sky that announces the birth of Jesus. Well, what was that star? People, especially in the scientific world, because they always have to have an explanation for everything, they try to come up with some natural phenomenon that would produce that star. But it's unlike any other star we've ever seen. What star do you know of that appears in the sky that leads you that you can follow it? It moves and you can follow it. And it moves in different directions. The wise men say they saw the star in the east 
and they followed it, and then the star that was there disappears. It is all, in all likelihood, that star was in the sky for, a, for around two years that they were following this star. And why do you say two years? Because remember, after the birth of Christ and after the wise men come, King Herod will destroy all the children in Bethlehem two years and younger. So they probably followed it for about two years. What kind of star do you know that appears like that and moves that you can follow it? It's interesting, the actual word used for the star is something that means a light, brightness. Some have theorized in some ways it could have been like the pillar of fire that led the children of Israel at night when they traveled as they were going to the promised land. Now, it wasn't a pillar of fire. It was something like a light in the heavens. But the important thing is, way back before Jesus ever comes, there's a statement that there will be a star and that this star will announce the birth of a king. Then in preparation, there's a promise of a virgin. In Isaiah 7, 14, tells us, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. The whole wonder of the virgin birth, but spoken of long before Jesus ever comes. And then not only do we have the virgin birth foretold, we have the very city where he's going to be born told to us. In Micah chapter 5, in verse 2, we read... But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. The very city that he will be born in is prophesied for us before the event. Not only... Do we have all of that happening way in the past? But then right prior, months before the birth of Jesus, we have the story of an angel. An angel that appears to the virgin. In Luke chapter 1, in verses 30 to 35, the angel appearing to Mary is identified to us as being Gabriel. And it says, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, 
the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So the angel appears to Mary and announces this with Mary, and then Mary finds herself with child. Yet she's still a virgin. But she's what we would call engaged to be married. So what's it going to take for Joseph to believe that Mary, who is with child, is still a virgin? Men, (laughs) Men, let me ask you, what would it take for you to believe? If you're engaged and you've never engaged in sexual relations and your fiancé says to you, I'm pregnant, but I've never had sex with anyone, what would it take? Well, I believe that's why we have an angel appear again in the story, right? Over in Matthew chapter 1, written, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, see in those days if you were engaged, it's not like today. It's not like today where people sometimes get engaged, break the engagements, ah, I remember when I was in college, there was, there was a guy at the college who was engaged to four girls at the same time. He had one at the school, one at home, uh, one that was uh, in his, uh, a place where he had worked for the summer, and I don't know where the fourth one came, but it was an interesting day when all four of them showed up on campus together. He ended up engaged from four to zero. Okay. But it took more to break an engagement in those days. This betrothal had to be broken by a divorce. And it was almost as if you were already married. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we have the promise of an angel. And now the next thing that has to happen before the event occurs is there needs to be a registration, a taxation. You see, we've already seen Jesus is to be born in what city? Bethlehem. But Joseph and Mary don't live in Bethlehem. And she's pregnant. And the time has come for her to be, to deliver her son. So there's a registration. 
that has to take place. And we read about that in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. It says, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So all these things, and many more that we don't have time to mention tonight, were all pre-event things. All had to happen before the event itself occurs. Now let's look at the event. Galatians 4.4 will tell us it's in the fullness of time. At the exact perfect moment in all of history that Jesus is born. Luke chapter 2 verses 6 to 7 very simply tells us and while they were there while they're in Bethlehem the time came for her to give birth and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Can we let that just sink in for a moment? The event. The complexity of the event. The complexity of what is occurring here. God has come to earth. God has been made flesh. There in the manger, the baby, the baby is God. The complexity of all of that. Oh, I have all kinds of questions and all kinds of things I don't understand about all of this other than I know that it is true and I believe it. The complexity of it. But also the simplicity of it. It's not born in a grand hotel. The one who is king of the universe, the one who will one day rule forever, the one who made the very world and everything in it. There he is in a manger. In a barn. Because there was no room for him. In the end. Just ponder that for a moment. I think we lose it. In our huge celebrations. And in our parties. And in everything that goes in. To all that we do around Christmas. We can lose the complexity and the simplicity of what really happened 
that first Christmas. Well, from the event, we move to the post-event. And what do we see in the post-event? First of all, we see shepherds, the shepherds. Luke 2, 8 to 12, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. I wonder at what time the angel appeared. I wonder if it's the exact moment at the birth of Jesus. I wonder if it's right as she places him in the, the manger. At what point does this, I, I have to believe with everything we've already seen, this is orchestrated down to the very moment if God in his planning and carrying things out. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The shepherd. Perhaps the lowliest of the people in that area. Perhaps the group that was most despised and people thought the least of, the shepherds. To them comes the announcement of the birth. And then right after that announcement to them, we have the heavenly host. Luke chapter 2, 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The whole heavenly host. Wouldn't you have liked to have heard that? I wonder how many angels there were in the sky that were all joining in. You know, I, I'm convinced that this is all recorded for us. You know, God has more, has more capabilities than we have. And if we've got the capability to record live events and go back and see them later, that's not anything going to be new upon God. I, this isn't one of those events I would really like to see and really like to hear those angels as they're glorifying God, that whole heavenly host. That had to be something to hear. Next we have the visit. Those shepherds aren't going to stay out in the field. What are they going to do? They're going to see the Savior. I think if you had seen this whole host of angels in the sky, you would have taken off too. I wonder who watched the sheep after they, they left. I wonder if there was just some guy who was at the, you know, the, the least of the shepherds that they say, you're staying here to watch the sheep while the rest of us go. I can imagine if that was me, I'd be saying, not me, I quit. You know, I'm going to the city too. It says in Luke 2.16, they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. The visit. Next, I want us to consider the gifts. We fast forward about two years. Because that's when the Magi 
who saw his star in the east, they come looking for the child. I hate to destroy your manger scenes. The wise men were, were not there at the stable. I mean, we're told he was, the child was at the house. So most believe that Jesus was probably about two years old when this occurs. I can remember at our home there was always a fight with the manger scene. Because we would alternate years with our son and our, our daughter setting it up. And whenever our daughter would set it up, our son would always come along, take the wise men and move them to the other side of the room. He'd say, they weren't there. And, of course, then there would be a battle. and uh, So we gave in to the lack of accuracy and put the wise men there uh, just to have peace uh, within the home. But they followed the star. And they knew it was a king of Israel that was going to be born. So they went where you would expect a king to be in the city of Jerusalem. King Herod wasn't too excited about the thought that there was a king. And the star appears again, and the star moves south, and they follow it. And the star, whatever this star was, leads them to the house and stands over them. This is no regular, typical star. This is a special act of God. And in Luke 2, 11, we're told, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, gifts that were fitting for a king. And it is probably from their bringing of gifts that this whole idea of sharing gifts at Christmas caught on around the world. At least it's the basis that people will appeal to for giving of gifts. But isn't it interesting? They didn't give gifts to one another. Who did they give the gifts to? They gave them to the king. Well, the gifts are given. We don't have time to go into how Herod destroys all the babies, all the male babies to and under in Bethlehem. God warned Joseph in a dream and they fled to Egypt to fulfill another prophecy that the Christ would come out of Egypt. The wise men were warned in a dream by God not to go back and tell Herod because Herod said, hey, tell me where he is when you find him so I can go worship him too. Well, Herod's intent is very clear from his actions. But this baby didn't stay a child. This two-year-old didn't remain a two-year-old. He grew. He matured. He walked the earth. He lived a sinless life. And he did all sorts of things. He healed people. He performed miracles. The 
books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John contain for us the things that Jesus did while he was here. But it doesn't contain all of them. John, in finishing up his gospel, says in chapter 21, Now there were also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. His life. Jesus came to the earth for a purpose. And he lived his life. And he showed us what perfection looks like. But Jesus came to the earth to die. See, when babies are born into the world, they come into the world, you and I have come into the world to live. He came into the world to die. There was a purpose in his coming taking us all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And Jesus, and I know this is not Good Friday, and we're not focusing tonight on the death of Jesus other than to follow post-event what happened after he lived his life. He went to the cross and he died. And in John 19.30, it says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. The work of salvation was finished. The price has been paid. Mission accomplished. It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. Well, we know that that wasn't the end of Jesus. Because three days later, he came out of that grave showing us That he is exactly who they said he was. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the one who accomplished his purpose. Shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He's the Savior. And friends, tonight cannot end without talking about the promise that he makes. The gift that he offers. Probably the best known verse in all the Bible is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish. But have eternal life. You know as we're thinking about gifts tomorrow. Let's not forget the greatest gift. And the greatest gift that's offered to you and to me. The gift of eternal life. Tomorrow, as you sit in your living room or wherever it is that you're going to sit and gather with family and friends and your opening presents together. I want you to imagine for a moment that there's another present that is there that is wrapped up that has your name on it. And I want you to think for a moment that that is the gift of eternal life that is being offered to you 
from God. But friends, you've got to receive the gift. You have to receive the gift. And the gifts that are giving to you tomorrow, you're going to unwrap them and see what's inside the box. Inside this huge box would be the gift of eternal life that is offered to you. For whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Let me ask you just very pointedly tonight, have you opened and received that gift? Have you believed in Jesus? That's why he came. That's what Christmas is all about. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. If you've never done that, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's the only way of eternal life. It's the only way to have a relationship with God. It is the only way that your sins can be taken care of. It's through you accepting. Not the babe who came, but receiving. The Savior. Yeah, he came as a baby. But he came to die. To provide for us salvation. And for those of us that know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, to those of us who have received that gift, tomorrow I want us to think about it. And think about the great cost that was paid For this gift to be made available to us. When when someone gives you a gift, don't you appreciate the person who gave you the gift? Well, at least most of the time you do, right? Most of the time you do. As believers, I want us to realize who it is who has given us that gift that we've already received. And what the cost was of that gift. Because that will motivate us to live in a way that brings glory to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending the Christ child. Thank you for sending Jesus who saves us. Thank you for Emmanuel, God with us, coming in human form. Father, help us not to miss the meaning of this Christmas. Help us that in the midst of our celebration, that we will love and worship you. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.